Truthfully, what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think of the old days, you were better off. Because nowadays, they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better, and less and less. And eventually, someone's going to be superb. Our education systems have mined our minds in the way that we strip mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to China Education. This is episode 35. My name is Emily Feistritzer, and I am the founder and CEO of the Teach Now Graduate School of Education, which is located in Washington, D.C., in the United States of America. Emily, in this festive season, of ours across the world. What a gift it is for China Dedication to have you on today. Welcome uh, to the show. We've got so much to talk about, um, to get into, about Teach Now and how it all came about. But to our listeners out there now listening in on this podcast that may not have heard of you before, I want to just um, read a quick bio. So Dr. Fai Stritcher, a nationally recognized leader in teacher preparation, began Teach Now in 2011 determined to revolutionize the way teachers are trained, and that is what she's done. The centerpiece of the Teach Now Graduate School of Education is what's called collaborative activities-based learning. Teacher candidates learn by doing projects together with an instructor. Emily spearheaded the development of this innovative, interactive, and online learning-to-teach model on a custom-designed platform. Dr. Feistritz has been revolutionizing the field of global teacher preparation and certification for over 40 years. She began her career as a high school science and mathematics teacher and later became a university level educator of teachers. She founded and served as CEO of the National Center for Education Information, which conducted several national surveys pertaining to teaching and teacher preparation and certification and published numerous database reports on education, including the benchmarking alternative teacher certification, a state by state analysis updated annually from 1990 to 2010. Emily also founded the National Center for Alternative Certification, which served as a clearinghouse for data and information about alternative routes to teacher <coughs> certification. Uh, author of 45 widely acclaimed books on education and numerous reports and articles on topics ranging from teacher supply and demand to the preparation and certification of teachers, reporters and the media rely upon Dr. Feistritz's expertise. As an advisor to educational policy decision makers at all levels, Dr. Feistritzer has testified before Congress and state legislators and briefed members of presidential administrations. Emily earned her bachelor's in biology from Thomas More College, her master's in physics and mathematics education from the College of William and Mary, and a PhD in curriculum and instruction from Indiana University, Bloomington. And to top it all off, my researchers have also shown me that you are Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, a Top 10 Women Innovator, and Inc.'s Top 100 Most Innovative Women Founders. 
Um, what can I say apart from Emily? You are an absolute teaching guru, um, a machine of creation. I must ask as a first question for our listeners, do you believe in reincarnation, the notion of an everlasting soul? And in this instance, are you a bringer of higher dimensional knowledge to planet Earth's current three dimensional plane? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, I think that uh, my career really began the day I was born um, when my mother birthed me. Uh, my mother had been a teacher as well as her mother and her sister. And my mother just decided this child will do things in the field of education that even she back in those years was not even able to think about doing. So uh, there is something to be said for the uh, incarnation and reincarnation and the ability to be instilled with um, desire and capability to dream big and make dreams come true. So teach now really is the result of a lifetime, if not a generational uh, life series of great and wonderful women who were dedicated to the teaching profession. So, Emily, I really want to start at the beginning. Where were you actually born and where did you grow up? I was born in a small town in central Kentucky. Um, in a sort of semi-rural area of Kentucky. Kentucky is in the heart of um, the country, and it's it's a sort of sleeper state. Uh, it's considered a, a sort of a border state in terms of north and south, um, and it's it's known for its bourbon. You may or may not know that, um, but a bourbon is not bourbon unless it's made in Kentucky, actually. Um, so I was born there. The population of, of the town I, I was born in was 12,000 people. My father was a, a not highly educated person at all, who was a trade electrician. And my mother was almost finished with college. I was born in 1941. I often say I was born on Independence Day, the year Pearl Harbor was bombed. Mm. Um, in this lar uh, what became large Catholic family. I was the second of eight children. Um, we were, uh, uh, my father was, was the sort of town electrician. My mother uh, had a baby every year and a half and I helped her raise a lot of those people. So my roots uh, are really grounded in um, survival and being good people um, mm. who were, would get, were, would be able to get ahead in the world, uh, if they were educated. So again, circling back to my mother and grandmother, particularly who were educators, um, they really believed rightly that education really was the key to a better life. So that's the environment I, I was born into. Uh, we lived on a farm and raised our own food and had our own cows. And it was a wonderful way to uh, be raised, actually. And then when it was time to go to high school, uh, secondary school, my mother prevailed on the 
nuns in the little Catholic school in our town. There were only <clears throat> 82 students in the whole school. And she um, prevailed on the nuns to give me a scholarship. So I went to boarding school, um, which was back in those days a five hour drive away. Actually, it's not that far. <laughs> but back when, uh, back in those days, it was a, a far way. Uh, so I went to boarding school uh, and got an excellent education in secondary school. And then from there, I decided to go into the convent, um, which was right, right across the road from from the boarding school. Um, and I, this was 1959. And for women in 1959, there were not a lot of opportunities. So I sort of at a very young age figured out that um, this getting a good education was a good idea. So going to the convent was a choice I made because I knew that the nuns didn't talk to each other. I was a Benedictine <laughs> and that's a semi-monastic order. So it was very quiet and peaceful. Mm. So I went into the convent mainly for that reason, um, to pursue my education, which, um, uh, was provided for free. Um, and I got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree while I was a Catholic nun and taught high school science and math for eight years um, as a Catholic nun and left at age 30 and decided to take on the world. Um, so I created the National Center for Education Information uh, which I ran from 1979 until creating Teach Now in 2011. The National Centre of Information. Uh, is that still an entity, Emily? No, it, it's, uh, the, it was the National Centre for Education Information, NCEI, we referred to it fondly as. Uh -huh. uh, no, it was created back in 1979. There were no PCs, there were no computers. There was no, definitely no internet. Um, uh, so I yeah. felt at that time that there needed to be a one-stop source of information about education. So I just streamed it up and created it. It was a call-in service and people could write in. There was no email back in those days. So people either called or wrote letters to ask for information. It was a subscription service. So people okay. paid. Yeah. Um, and in the course from 1979 until I started Teach Now in 2011, um, I ran. In CEI, and as you noted in your introduction, the National Center for Alternative Certification, which became mm. a big issue in the mid 1980s and 90s, where there was a strong movement to create programs that whereby teachers could get certified to teach without having to necessarily go back to college and start all over in a four-year teacher preparation program or even a even at a post-baccalaureate level. So the, mm -hmm. the alternative teacher certification movement, we played a really big role in that because as you noted, we tracked uh, what each of the states was doing 
in terms of certifying teachers in the United States, which is one of the few countries in the world that requires that teachers be certified. Each state uh, sets its own certification yeah. requirements. So it makes it very, very complicated. And we tracked and, and actually made available information about uh, how people could get start certified from state to state. So that, that whole era was very important in leading to actually the creation of the Teach Now Teacher Preparation Program. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and it's just the way it is. I think you can't connect the dots as it's going on. But when you look back after many years, you certainly see, ah, that was the reason that 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 bloomed into my dream and um and and you made it a, a reality and that led to the next step to the next step and of course we have you know what we have today this wonderful teach now um program which in itself is of course constantly evolving and developing now i want to flip back quickly because we'll talk more about that later you were saying mentioned about the schools that you know you grew up in secondary school and, and primary school i want to know is there a a favorite teacher in there, Emily, that inspired you as a as a young lady? Anyone that pops out straight away that you could mention? Well, the uh, actually in primary school, the again, this is a tiny school, eighty two yeah, students, eighty two, uh, <laughs> and I think there were three um, nuns from the convent I eventually joined, um, who taught all those grades. And I, I'm sure most of your listeners think this is ancient history, uh, but actually it was only, I don't know, what, 70 years ago. Um, but it, it was pretty primitive. And the head of the school was really a very, very strong woman and leader um, and she was so good at identifying people in that school, in that tiny school, who had potential. And so she, she did play a big role in my sort of already um, established desire to do great and wonderful things. Um, so it wasn't so much her teaching as her inspiration around dreaming big. Um, so she played right. a big role. I mean, if you don't mind me asking in the convent, in the teaching environment, do you call them, you know, misses or do you call them, te what's the, how do you, well, what they, do you call? <laughs> well, I was in, I was in Catholic schools uh, for primary and secondary and they were called sister actually. Ah, of course. <laughs> Yeah. So, and they had saints' names, like, you know, um, let's say they're, I don't even know what their real names were. So we all took a saint's name. Like when I was a nun um, and teaching, my name was Sister Ambrose. Um, wow. And, yeah. and I, I got to choose the name. You, you could choose the name you wanted. And I chose Ambrose because he was a, a bishop in Italy somewhere, probably Rome. Uh, and he was chanted to be by the population of the little town to be the bishop. And so that's why I chose his name. Um, and he was a saint. So in those days, um, in Catholic schools, people were called, when, when there were nuns, 
uh, teaching, which was true in most Catholic schools, um, it was Sister whatever her name was. Mm. Right, and and the so the sister that you mentioned earlier really kind of inspired you to dream big. What was her name, Sister? I don't even remember. I don't remember her name. When I went into secondary school, um, the person, the sister that I remember most actually was not a biology or math or science teacher, which is what I became. She was actually the English teacher, and her name I remember was Petra, Sister Petra. Okay. Yeah. Petra. She taught English and uh, mythology interestingly enough so i i really remember those mythology classes okay well emily or sister ambrose um can we just <laughs> i've got this i've got this um article in front of me that's just been placed and it's from the um it's the fast company um article it, it, it its title is this 78 year old founder of teacher education startup also named to top 100 entrepreneur list by fast company it goes on and it says teach now which challenged the traditional teacher education model eight years ago um uh, and, and then it mentions here a 78 year old former nun um i guess that kind of gives a wow factor doesn't it to any um kind of uh, <laughs> article how has teach now in in the essence of what you've created challenged um the traditional teacher education model what do you mean by that well we went back to the drawing board uh, i've been in mm -hmm. um teacher education as a reporting on what states are doing what institutions of higher education colleges and universities are doing mm -hmm. in training teachers and what we've seen in the last 30 years in the united states is a continual drop in the number of people who actually are studying to be teachers it's one of the reasons that the national center for alternative certification was created because alternative ways for becoming a teacher became necessary <clears throat> because increasingly people were not going back to college and studying to be teachers through undergraduate or college teacher preparation programs. So the, the big stimulus for creating Teach Now was it was that phenomenon that fewer and fewer people were studying to be teachers through these traditional programs, these college-based university programs. And, but, but as importantly, uh, Chris, was the, nobody was focused on preparing tomorrow's teachers for tomorrow's students, for tomorrow's learning world, mm -hmm. anywhere in the world. Um, and I knew that because I had devoted, I am 78 years old, and I had devoted uh, a half a century to this field. And it was so obvious that nobody was paying attention to how do we prepare tomorrow's students for tomorrow's learning world. I have a um, an anecdotal story that played a really key role in all of this. Um, okay. I was visiting one of my many nieces. This was back in um, around 2011. And 
her her daughter, which was my grandniece, had awakened from her nap. She had been sleeping and she came out and she's rubbing her eyes and her mother, my niece said, oh, Hazy, come over and meet Aunt Emily. I had never met her before. Um, <laughs> and she looked at me uh, and proceeded to walk over. She was like 18 months old. She was a toddler. Uh-huh. And she walked over and picked up her mother's handheld device, you know, like her iPhone or whatever. Um, yeah. And went, went over and sat down in her little little toddler chair, turned on the handheld device, and proceeded to open icons that she knew exactly what was behind each one of them. And I thought, how are we going to teach these kids? You know, like we're not doing anything in teacher preparation to teach these kids that are literally born with a skill that many teachers at that time uh, didn't even know how to use. So it, what really drove the creation of, of Teach Now was, was not just that, that enrollments in traditional programs were declining, but that nobody was paying attention to how do we prepare tomorrow's teachers for tomorrow's students in tomorrow's learning world. So that really was the impetus for creating Teach Now. And I was at a point I could have retired. I could have gone to Tuscany and written novels. Um, yeah, I really, right. didn't, I really didn't need to go back to the drawing board, uh, but I wanted to. Um, so I did. I got together some a few smart people, and said, "Let's just act like nothing exists. There's never been a teacher preparation program. So we mm-hmm. weren't." oriented to creating or fixing anything because I had been in a field that people had been trying to fix for a very long time. So we just said nothing has ever existed. And if you were going to create the ideal program for preparing teachers in a digital age and forward that would never get old, what would that program look like? And Teach Now really is the result of asking that question. Um, We knew that it had to be um, online. It had to be very technology-based. It had to be digitally savvy. It had to be able to change on a dime so that you, it would never get old. You would be always able to switch out the resources and but you would have a platform, you would have a learning um, environment that would be based on what all the research had shown is the way teachers best learn how to teach. We've done surveys of teachers since the mid 1980s. We, uh, the National Center for Education Information, which I founded and ran, had done, I think, six surveys from 1984 to 2010. And one of the questions we asked teachers was, what was most valuable to you as a teacher in uh, uh, gaining competence to teach, to becoming an effective teacher? 
and the numbers, and it was a drop-down menu, so they could choose mm -hmm. education methods courses, they could choose the courses in the subject matter they were teaching, they could choose faculty, um, but the two things that teachers from 1984 to 2010, and other people actually have conducted the survey as well, and the numbers, one and two reasons teachers themselves give for being most valuable in developing competence to teach were practicing it, the actual practice of teaching, and equally important, working with other teachers' colleagues. So that's what Teach Now is based on. That's why we call it activities-based collaborative learning to teach model. And it works. Um, so the platform, the learning platform, as you know, Chris, because you went through it, um, uh -huh. is, is really designed around we deliver the program in cohorts of 10 to 15 people at a time. Um, below 10 gets a little too few and over 15 is too many. Um, so the cohorts, the groups, uh, which are formed by our students' time availability, that's the only variable that determines when a cohort uh, is formed and when it meets. Um, it, so they, they meet together in a virtual class session every week for an hour. And during the rest of the week, they do uh, activities related to whatever the content that's being covered at that time. Um, Indeed. And, and, and so activities-based collaborative learning to teach is quite unique to teach now. Nobody else is doing it yet. Um, probably five years from now, everybody will be doing it uh, because it really is the best way for teachers to learn to be effective teachers. Are you looking to further your career in education? Teach Now offers a convenient online teacher preparation and master's degree program completed anywhere in the world. Reach Now for Teach Now. Ain't no time for defeat now. Teachers get off your seats now. Future generations need you now. Work with people all over the world in a collaborative, activity-based teaching environment. To learn more, visit teach-now.edu. Expertise that is really outside of the box. One uh, person I learned about through the Teach Now program, Emily, <clears throat> was... Uh, Dr. Sugata Mitra's work on self-organizing learning environment souls and really the essence is very much like that isn't it you have these cohorts of 10 to 15 and, and as those you know children was shown in his research you know whether it be in the slums of uh, Bombay or, or in a school right. in Newcastle in England there's just this energy that works together with peers if they collaborate together um, finding tuning information discovering new information and almost again it's that <laughs> the model of the teacher being the sage on the stage it's it's just moving away from that everyone in their right is their teacher and the teacher in the classroom is more like the guide on the side right so right. um I, i'm totally totally there with that i think you've you're spot on with this current way this current mechanism of, of getting the most effective way of learning and developing through it really does work now here's a comment i read if you build it they will come 
And if you can dream it, it can happen. Is that something that very much you were inspired by from your mother, who was also a teacher? And, and, and on top of that, I watched a clip it of your PBS NewsHour TV feature, Emily. I don't know if you remember that one. And two key tenets of success that you mentioned on that was focus and discipline. Did that come through early childhood, through your mother, through your father? It did, and it also, the focus, actually, uh, I attribute to my years in the convent. Because mm, right. it was, yeah, um, the, the major contribution of my 12 years in a convent, actually, was we didn't talk. You know, we prayed a lot and we taught school, um, mm. but we had a lot of time to think. Um, so I, I was able at a very young adult age to really think a lot and be very, very focused. Um, that, that life was, was very disciplined and very focused. And I think that played a big role in in my ability and it would in anybody's life to accomplish what we've accomplished because I don't I'm I'm not easily distracted when mm. I'm thinking or when I'm working um and that, that really is true I I I was married actually for a decade of my life and my wonderful husband who still is my best friend um used to say, I can stand over Emily when she's at her computer working on something and have a whole monologue conversation with her and she won't hear a word <laughs> I'm saying. So, <laughs> so, so that, that focus yeah. and discipline, uh, I attribute those characteristics to my convent life and the dreaming came from the day I was born. I, I used to, you know, back in the days before there were other things to do, like be on a computer and, and mm -hmm. learn different way. Uh, I grew up in, as I said earlier, in a rural community, and we used to lay in the field and look up at the sky and clouds would move across the sky. And I used to make up whole stories about right people and clouds and villages and you know so the dreaming big uh has always been an essential part of my being emily two things i have to touch on there and and they're off topic but the researchers will just have to be patient here because i think they're on topic we're going back to when you had that white paper <laughs> thinking about teach now and saying let's not fix anything let's just look at starting a whole new system you mentioned children and your niece i believe who picked up the phone and started using it and one thing that came into my mind you know because i've got four young four young boys is that today's children they're born and they're bored and, and what i mean about yeah. that is again in the classroom the traditional classroom it it's boring it, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't shine light on the wonderful, colorful facets of a beautiful young human being um, and stretch them in the ways that maybe a new system, such as what the Teach Now is dipping into, can. And again, though, those two tenets of focus and discipline, I see it as a challenge bringing up children today that although they're born and bored, 
they seem to have so much that they can get on with. There's so much fingertip now in this digital information age. But with that comes a lack of focus and discipline. And I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. Like my son would start a game on his iPad when I allow him to go on it. And if he can't get it first, he'll kind of move on and go on to another game or he'll download another game. And it's that constant lack of focus mm. and discipline to stick to a task. And so I worry born and bored, but lacking focus and discipline, we must somehow come up with a way that our classrooms can connect into these children's minds and hearts where they're not bored, but they can also remain focused and disciplined. And that word resilience uh, really comes into it. Uh, absolutely, Chris. I think I think we. I, I don't think that uh, focus and discipline is intuitive, and so that's why mm. I think schools will always exist, and there will be structured environments where people mm. can learn to focus and be disciplined. Like your children are a perfect example. You know, left to their own devices if they didn't have, you know, parents who cared and and knew how to teach a child to be focused and stick with problem solving, um, Mm -hmm. they would, they would probably wind up being chimpanzees. You know, I mean, the, the thing that separates our species is Mm -hmm. our ability to reason and to go from A to B to C to D to Z, um, and sometimes jump over some of those steps uh, as you get older. But I think discipline and focus are taught and learned by the Mm -hmm. learner, and parents and teachers play the key roles in enabling people to do that in a way that they can dream big and problem solve. Mm. Otherwise, life becomes chaos uh, without it. And it is the thing that separates human beings from all the other animals. Um, And we really, we have to teach that. I think that is part of, you know, if you go back to Aristotle and Socrates, you know, Mm -hmm. Aristotle sat at Socrates' knee, you know, so there's, there's a need for that place where young children can learn how to bring together all of these things that they're exposed to in ways that I never was as a child. I mean, there's just Mm. so much information out there and there's so many exciting things going on and there, you know, you turn on a device and the world is your cookie. Um, Yeah. But that, but, but that's where parents and teachers, and, and that's why it's important to train teachers, you know, teach now's long mission statement is to equip, enable, and empower teachers to go into any learning environment anywhere in the world and be able to diagnose where each of those learners they're responsible for as a teacher are coming from, and then be able to design and implement learning experiences that ensure that each of those 
young people actually does learn, grow, and develop. That's mm. really what Teach Now sets out to do. And yeah, I, another thought that came into my mind, talking about flipped, <coughs> le flipped learning, which is another essential um, instrument that I learned through the Teach Now program. You were talking about lying in a field looking at clouds and I remember doing that too and I think a lot and I hope a lot of our listeners have done that and tried to look at what the clouds might form into and you know is that an animal you can see or something like that and as you said even start talking and writing a story about it or you know narrating a story but maybe Emily what we need to do is flip that so in our classrooms today we might have a 40 minute period where we take 20 25 children outside lie down on our backs and look at the clouds. Maybe in the old days that would be a bit strange, but maybe that's what we need to do. We need to flip and mix it up a bit because, yes. you know, children in my class, they're not touching <coughs> the ground with their bare feet. They're in sky-rise yeah. buildings and they're touching t uh, keyboards all the time. Yeah. yeah. No, we have to. We have to provide spaces for children to think about nothing. You know, and mm -hmm. what a wonderful opportunity. I think that's a great idea, Chris. Maybe we should make that an activity and teach now. Um, seriously. <laughs> because, because it's it that that is what we need to be doing is teaching, providing environments. I I teaching is a an interesting word in and of itself, but um I I like to think of teaching in a digital age as providing environments for young people to think, you know, to think and problem solve Be and, and putting them out on a field, looking up at a, a sky and telling a story out of clouds is a great activity. Um, and kids really need to do those kinds of things, even if even if you know they're they're in a in a classroom. If they just like close their eyes and imagine, mm -hmm. um, and but but those are the things that we need to teach children to be able to do because knowledge acquisition is so easily come by. You know, when I was a teacher, when my mother was a teacher, when my grandmother was a teacher, the teacher was the dispenser of knowledge. You went yeah. to school to acquire knowledge. And if the teacher didn't know it, you never learned it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and that is so unnecessary now. You know, I mean, there are kids coming into classrooms physics classes, math classes, English classes, Chinese classes. Um, there are kids coming into classrooms that know more than the teacher does when it comes mm -hmm. to basic knowledge about a subject. Um, so the, the role of the teacher has changed to being facilitator, coach, evaluator, mm -hmm director of teaching kids how to think, how to be disciplined, how to problem solve. Um, it, it, it's a whole nother world when it comes to what the role of the teacher is going forward in formal education. Mm, yeah.
and, and back to the 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 being bored bit I, I i'm sure parents listening to this now have often groaned when their son or daughter says oh dad or mum, i'm so bored and I, I actually think now turning that on its head i think that's a great thing and I, I even say it to my son that is a great thing and he goes well what do you mean it's a great thing i said well now you can try and be creative think of something to do you know, go a little right. bit out of the box instead of having every suite available to you at your fingertips and you're just going right. to gobble and guzzle them down till you feel sick. I remember one of the books I wrote was called Teacher Crisis, colon, Myth or Reality. Because, and this was back in the 80s, I wrote a book called The Making of a Teacher which is a report on teacher preparation and certification. And in both of those books, there was a lot of um, news media stories about teacher shortages, that we weren't going to have enough teachers and there are not enough people studying the right things and inner cities mm -hmm. need more teachers than um, the suburbs and so on. So I would do a report that would, actually show that we have we're producing far more teachers than we need but that they're not they're not teaching where they're needed or what or what they're needed so mm -hmm. the books the books that i did were all really analyzing data to set the records straight on what really was an issue and what really wasn't an issue and what really needed to be uh, attended to. So I didn't write methodology books uh, because I still don't believe that great teachers come from a laundry list of <laughs> behaviors that they should engage in. Um, mm. So I still believe that the role of the teacher is to be a sage, is to be a guider of learning, yeah. um, to be a problem solver, him or herself, you know, so that if you, if you walk into a classroom in Beijing and it's got people from, you know, 10 different cultures and all kinds of backgrounds, the right. role of the teacher is to on day one, hopefully before day one, know who those kids are. You know, like where do they come from? You know, what are their yeah. ability levels? Uh, what have they achieved? So that from day one of the beginning of the school year, that teacher knows who those kids are and can guide their learning um, and not stand up there and be a dispenser of facts and figures <laughs> yeah because i remember that oh i can't remember the quote offhand but it's something like if a teacher can be replaced by a robot then it probably <laughs> should be <laughs> exactly if you ask people anybody you know you ask yourself who were the teachers that most influenced you i guarantee mm. you it will have been a caring teacher mm. Yes, you know, indeed. somebody who was really zeroed in on uh, the kids they were teaching and figured out ways 
to make that class every day interesting and productive. Yeah, here, here. Emily, I've been I've got this little note I've been given. You, you mentioned earlier, you know, when you're in the convent and uh, you said it was a quiet convent, you didn't talk. Um, obviously, when you were teaching, you were talking, weren't you? It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. OK, so there you go. It's been confirmed. Emily did talk. It wasn't silent. Great stuff. Um, Emily, here's one for you. Let's talk about music a second. And just, just the first thing that comes into your mind. Can you give me a favorite song that really resonates with you? And don't think too much about it. Without You by Mariah Carey. Wow. And, and a one and a one sentence of why that would be. Uh, oh, it's so profound. You know, do you know the song? Do you know yes, the song? Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's sort of at the guts of uh, relationships and, you know, what really matters, you know, that whole, uh, she goes off into, you know, I can't live, can't live, can't live without you, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's so deep and real um and i think it it doesn't it's a song that doesn't even have to pertain to the breakup of a relationship it's right. just sort of the es the essence of what matters uh in our lives it's yeah so that that's the one that it, um but i'm a real neil diamond fan so there are lots hey. of neil diamond Holly, Holly, I just love Holly. No, look, now you start. Now you're rolling them <laughs> off. Come on, I asked you for one. Uh, right, Mariah Carey, without you, okay. So I mean, you, you can't do without education, can you? I think you definitely agree with that. That's certainly a sentiment that we've gone over many times. Uh, now, Emily, I know. And obviously, I've been to your office uh, many years ago uh, before I even knew I was going to go on the program, as, as destiny has it. And uh, I know you are a pretty hands-on CEO. Would I be right? That is correct. Teach now yeah. is my life. It's my life. It's it's uh, it's your baby, as they say in the in the world mm -hmm. of business and entrepreneurship. Now, being seventy-eight, which you know, most I think a lot of people would say is quite unique, a CEO of a big company in America. Do you get time to do things outside of work? I'm sure you do. And if you do, what are your favorite kind of non work things uh, where you can go a little bit off track uh, with the to do lists? Um, I'm a walker and a dog <laughs> lover. So I have three little dogs and uh, like as soon as we finish this interview, I'll go for like an hour long walk with my dogs. Um, I'm a reader. Uh, I'm reading S Sapiens right now. Um, I love to read. Uh, I love movies. I like to go to the movies. Um, those are my sort of favorite things uh, besides Teach Now to do. I have friends that I hang out with from time to time. Mm -hmm. But I um, love my own company. I like to be alone. Um, I'm looking out my window in my beautiful home right now, which is very peaceful and quiet. Um, so a thread of my life has always been to be somewhat contemplative. Um, mm -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I learned that 
and learned it well. And so I like to be quiet and alone um, and think about nothing. I like to cook. I'm a good cook. Um, so I have, I have a, a passel of things that I do that make my life quite full. And I mean, when you go for your walks, Emily, with your three dogs, uh, do you listen to podcasts? I'm sure you're an avid China Jedi listener, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be. If you're an English speaking teacher from anywhere in the world and you have a bachelor's degree, but need an official and accredited teaching license to get a job, get a visa to teach abroad, or most importantly, to learn all those things you wish you knew before you stood in front of 30 plus students, then reach now to teach now and secure a professional US District of Columbia license in as little as nine months. Online in no time, low cost, high quality, teach now, get in the game. Immediately receive a $100 discount of your tuition by signing up to the Teach Now program by the link www.teach-now.edu forward slash China Jedi. May the smile be with you.